Hello and welcome to the Relational Parents Podcast, where we get off autopilot and give thoughtful attention to how we interact with our children and relate to ourselves so that you can show up in your family as the best version of yourself with a lot more joy and ease. I'm your host, Teresa Puckett, and I'm thrilled you've joined us today. Hello and welcome back. I'm really excited to be with you to continue our conversation on prepping for home learning. This is the third in that series. And today I'm going to be talking to you about the home environment. Now, last time we talked about sharing the controls and I think that was a great discussion if the last five months, five and a half months have taught me anything personally. It's that not only, I mean, I, I, I knew that I wasn't in control, but what the last five and a half months in this pandemic environment has taught me is that we as a society, as a species, okay, we are not in control nearly as much as we think we are. We, ha- we don't have nearly the amount of control that we think we do. And that if we can begin to let that settle in and em- embody it, not from a, oh my gosh, now I'm so scared, but from a, okay, I can stop pretending that, you know, I know exactly what's going to happen and that I can control everything around me. I can literally just drop that if we can move towards that dropping of control, we'll have a better mindset and we will have much, much more energy to put to good use. Okay, so the first thing that I want to talk about is being a detective and having a detective mindset with your child, with your children, especially since they're going to be at home with you now more than they were in the previous school year. So what does a detective do? A detective observes, right? A detective is very observant, but does a detective know what they're looking for? No, they don't know already what they're looking for. They are watching for anything interesting, different, unusual. They don't know how the pieces fit together, but they are highly observant without even knowing what they're looking for. So that is a great mindset for us to have with our kids because we don't know what is really in their heart or what might be emerging from their heart. Maybe they have never really um, liked outdoors, like to be outdoors, and suddenly they are interested in learning to ride a bike if they're, you know, if they're little. Whatever it is, be observant. Don't, you know, don't judge, don't try to control. That is huge. And it also plays very well into 
um, a few quotes that I want to share with you. One is from Maria Montessori. Okay, I love Montessori. And I'm not going to try to uh, remember any of her longer quotes. It was simply follow the child. Okay, follow the child. And in that vein, it's, it's kind of looking to see what they are interested in and moving with them into whatever they're interested in and trying to help them explore and set things up so that they can explore in that area. And more recently, I heard a gentleman by the name of Ned Johnson. He is one of the co-authors of a book called The Self-Driven Child. He wrote it with Dr. Bill Stixrude. Um, and it's a wonderful book. And it really embodies a lot of uh, a lot of very Montessori style principles around releasing our control over our kids and our kids' lives. But what he said was, and this goes for any age, right? He said, when you see a spark, throw gasoline on it. Like when you see a spark of interest, do what you can. I mean, you don't want to, you know, if they're a teenager, like rush in and, you know, bury them in a whole bunch of information or books or conversation when it's not welcome. Like you have to watch. But if they're interested, say you have a, a five-year-old who is interested as you're pouring the pancake batter, right? Oh, well, that's fantastic, sweetie. Would you like to help mommy make pancakes? I mean, how much can they learn? They can learn just so much, you know, cracking an egg, adding the milk, doing the pouring, doing the mixing. Like there's just so much that they can take in and so many capabilities that they can build just with that if we're observant and we can catch their interest. And now that they're going to be spending more time at home, we have more of an opportunity to observe them. Um, it's a, it, it's kind of like, you know, I can, I can hear, um, I can hear some of you saying this, but Teresa, I don't have time. I don't have time. I have my stuff that I need to do. And um, another one of my mentors I heard say very recently, and it wasn't her quote. I don't remember who it's attributed to, but the notion is like, pretend you're a doctor, right? If you treat your patient like you have five minutes and you're in a hurry, then it's probably going to take half an hour or, or longer, right? It's going to take half the day, whatever. It's going to take a lot longer. But if you treat your patient like you have all day, then it will probably take only five minutes because they didn't feel rushed. They felt heard and seen and there's room for us to have a real interaction, a real give and take and everybody feels great about it. It doesn't have to take more time and it, it almost never does take more time. We only think it does and then we resist and then the interaction does end up taking more time because the other person doesn't feel seen, doesn't feel heard. Okay, so a little, a little offshoot there. So we're talking about the home environment and what I just was talking about with, do I have five minutes or do I have all day and how am I approaching 
my child, that speaks to the energetic environment at home. That speaks to more of the emotional environment or atmosphere, whatever word you like. And as, a, as parents, you know, we're the leaders in the home of the home. So we do set the tone. We do set the tone. And if we're always, okay, I don't really have time for you. You're, you're second fiddle. Da, da, da. Um, that's when we get into, oh, mommy, look, oh, mommy, oh, mommy, oh, mommy. Cause they don't, they don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. And that's kind of the best case scenario, right? Because if you, um, if you have teenagers like I do, and you had that, come on, I don't really have time for you, got to get this done, sort of energy, attitude, tone, well, they're not going to be begging you for, the, for your attention when they're teenagers. That is just not going to happen. So that's a, it, it's something that it really, uh, there are big, big, big dividends to being very observant of ourselves and very intentional about the energetic environment that we are creating at home. So let's get a little bit into the physical environment that we're creating at home. And I alluded to this last time that some of the things I'm going to be talking about in, in this episode are a little more geared toward the younger kids. And that's okay, but you can extrapolate with, um, with the older kids. And I'm gonna go to Montessori. She was amazing. She really poured her heart and soul into studying preschool kids and really came out with an understanding of what they are wired for and the different areas that they are wired for. She called them sensitive periods. That are, um, she called preschool, the um, ages three to six, roughly, a sensitive period for lots of different kinds of learning. And we know this now, scientifically, you know, um, on a much more modern scale, in a much more modern way, to be true. So the two areas that I'm gonna talk about a little bit today are practical life, and sensorial. So I'll start with practical life because I think um, it's something that we as adults can um, can identify with much better. There's chores, there's things to get done, there's things that we need to do. And our little kids, from the time that they're in a swing or a, a car seat, right, they're watching us do all these things. And they know that they can't do them yet, but they're watching us and we're the, we're the only ones in their world, right? They want to learn how to do these things. They want to learn how to cook, how to chop vegetables, how to put dishes away, how to feed the dog, how to sweep up the crumbs on the floor, how to dust the furniture, like that stuff you know, think about it. Think back to, I mean, I know it's hard, <laughs> but think back like when you're two, three, four, you're not even in, you know, regular school yet, whatever it is. All of those things are super like sexy. Those are the important things because the important big people are doing them. So the extent to which we can 
slow ourselves down long enough to help them develop their capabilities on a small scale. You're not going to ask your two-year-old to vacuum your house, obviously, okay? But what you can do is that you can give them a dust cloth. And as you're doing some dusting, you can show them on a surface that's low enough for them. You can show them how to dust. And it's not about how well they do it when they're two, when they're three, whatever. It's about the fact that they want to do it and you can celebrate that they're doing it. That's it, sweetie. Good job. Circles just like that with encouraging words, encouraging tone, and, and really sort of fan the flames, right? They, show, they showed you a spark and you're pouring gasoline on it. Fan the flames of what they want to do as opposed to imposing our own oh, you'll have plenty of time to worry about cleaning. Just why don't you go play your video games or whatever, you know, go do your thing. You should play. They're showing you what they're interested in. Build on it. Take a little bit of time. So another, I'm just thinking about back in my Montessori teaching days, some of the activities, the practical life activities were watering the plants. Another one, well, you know, we didn't, they actually were feeding the pets. We had fish in our classroom and so feeding the fish. And we just had to make sure that, you know, seven kids in one day didn't feed the fish. So we had a little sign, you know, the fish has been fed, you know, red or green. Um, fixing snack for the rest of the classroom community. That was a practical life activity. Um, so fixing snack in the house could be an activity, right? Like um, spreading peanut butter on bread or crackers. That's a fantastic practical life activity. Um, and, and there are so, so, so many more of these. Actually, um, one that I will mention, it was just so much fun. And you could set it up as an activity in your house and you can also build from an activity to where they're really helping you but it was, a, it was a sweeping activity. And so literally, de depending on the child's age, if, if they were three, um, you know, someone else might come and uh, create the, the circle of tape on the floor, like painter's tape or something, um, or, or masking tape. And then they would, they, it was in a little jar and they would be able to pour like the dried beans or the rice or whatever, but they would pour it um, and then they would have to sweep it into the circle with a broom or even uh, with a dustpan and a little brush. So you could, you know, do that kind of a thing to teach them, or you could just use your own everyday life examples like, oh, mommy spilled the flour. I spilled the flour when I was making pancakes. So come on, let's, uh, I'll show you how to use the broom. But there are dozens and dozens of practical life activities that you can find just by Googling Montessori practical life activities. And you can, you know, those can be modified to fit your home. So I, uh, I want to, I wanted to share that with you. The other area, it is such a fun area. It really, this area brought me back into 
being a child and just remembering some of those just very visceral pleasures of uh, squeezing things between your hands, things. It's, it's an area of the Montessori classroom called sensorial. And what it basically is, is an area where there are a lot of different activities. And again, you can Google it, but it's all about letting the child really hone in on one of their senses. They had smelling activities and feeling activities. And not that you have to create activities. Um, I'm not trying to create extra work for you. You don't have to create activities for your kids at home, like special activities, but it's the concept. So one, um, one activity it was a feeling one and it was all about smooth versus rough. And you know, there's sandpaper that could be used or different kinds of cloth. But I mean, you have different things in your home. So like the tapestry in back of me, if that was part of an activity, you know, it's kind of interesting to look at visually, but that would be more of a smooth. Whereas if I had a burlap um, bag of potatoes in the kitchen, then that would be, that would be rough to run their fingers. And, and so you can do modify those activities and just get your ideas for helping them under, you know, develop their senses and put names to things. So smooth versus rough, uh, whatever, whatever it is. Um, I also wanted to share a couple of, uh, a couple of things that I did with my boys when, and this was, this was more than 10 years ago. They were really little, maybe, um, maybe two and four or maybe one and three, but there were, and we have pictures, lots of pictures. So if you do something super fun and they're, they're enjoying it, make sure you take pictures because now I can relive that. And now I, I've relived it enough times that it's fresh in my mind and I can remember it and share it with you, which is nice. So <laughs> my boys loved to eat. And you know, when I got Play-Doh, my one especially would love to put Play-Doh in his mouth. And you know, Play-Doh is not toxic, but it's not really what I would be feeding him on purpose. So I determined to find a recipe for edible Play-Doh. So you can Google that. I'm sure there's a lot, a lot, a lot of ideas out there. The one that I remember, because it was only two ingredients and that was just, that was heaven for me, just to keep it simple, um, was, I I think it was one part to one part. I, I remember it being very, very simple, but it was peanut butter and dried milk, you know, and I, I knew that my kids didn't have um, a peanut allergy. Okay, so, you know, full disclosure there, but it was nut butter and dried milk. And, you know, the, there are a lot of different recipes, but I, I did that and they played with it and had fun with it. And then if they put it in their mouth, it wasn't a big deal. And then the other thing was um, I used yogurt, just plain yogurt, no sweeteners, no sugar, no honey. And one day we went out on the front porch and I had, yo it was just plain yogurt and I added, um, I, 
I think I added food coloring, but you could do something a little healthier. You could add some, um, like even frozen blueberries, because when they melt, there's lots of liquid that gets thrown off and that's very blue. So it's a fun, fun color. And then they have like, they have the, the berry inside of it. And my boys, they played for the better part of an afternoon on the front porch with this just mix mosh. It was so much fun. And then they like would go put it on each other and it didn't matter because it wasn't sticky. It wasn't toxic. It wasn't anything. And then I just, you know, hose down the front porch um, after and it all was well, but just that whole aspect of sensorial and thinking about the five senses and um, not, not so much the visual, but there's lots of, you know, the other four senses and what you can do and just draw their attention to. And they, they are in that sensitive period to develop, um, the, the smell, the taste, the touch, and also the audio as well. And, uh, and a, another wonderful way to um, expand out of anything that could be done in, inside of a Montessori classroom would be to take it outside, right? You can hear the birds, smell the flowers, um, just feel the grass underneath your feet and maybe mud if you're a little extra adventurous and it just rained or whatever. But, uh, but the outdoors is, um, is amazing. I will, I will leave you with uh, one other activity. And again, I know that these are, these are for the littles and I, I'll extrapolate to the olders before, uh, before we're done too. Um, there are some really great activities and these are more like rainy day activities, um, sorting. I mean, they're basically sorting activities. So to get um, two different kinds of beans or three or two different colors of rice um, or, uh, or different colors of pasta and they sell them all in the same box, right? So it's like, it's easy peasy. And you can put like a big bowl of it all mixed together and then smaller bowls and have them sorted out. And I know to an adult, right? That sounds like ridiculous and boring and why would you? But it is absolutely not for the, you know, three, four-year-olds, it's not boring. It's, it's cool, it's sorting. So it's a visual thing and they're getting practice with some fine motor skills with their thumb and their index finger to put them in the different bowls. And then as they even advance more, and you might have to practice this and make sure it works, make sure it's not too slippery, but, and it might work better with rice, I would say, than with beans, but you can introduce a tweezer, you know, to like four or five, six-year-olds and have them do it with a tweezer. Now that's really fine motor skills. And like maybe even, I mean, it's fine motor, maybe control, maybe strength in the index finger. I don't know. But, um, but so those are uh, a few other activities and there's all kinds of pouring activities too. And you can add food coloring and all kinds of fun um, or just get different color juices. So I, I want to extrapolate to some of the older kids and you have to 
use a little bit more discretion when you come out of the you know three to six age group still the seven to nine is a great age group for um, introducing more of those practical life activities which really practical life activities are like the stepping stones to um, to family contributions, AKA chores. When, uh, when I was growing up, maybe when you were growing up, they're called chores. Chores doesn't sound great. Doesn't sound like something I don't want to do my chores. Um, so, you know, family contributions though, they literally are contributions to the family and to the household. Those are the stepping stones to family contributions. And it's much easier road to family contributions when the groundwork is laid, when they're much younger, when they're interested. Um, so I would put that forward as well. And taking small steps. If you, you know, maybe you missed some of those younger years. I missed some younger years with some things too. And now I have things that I'm trying to do with my teens that, gosh, I wish I started five, 10 years ago, but I have to start where I am. I have to meet them where they are. And so it just takes more, um, you know, more discretion on my part, more uh, recognizing that a small step is a, a real step forward. And that's, that's some of the things that we go into a little bit more in some of our, some of our programs, some of those distinctions, but rest assured that, um, you know, so, so with teens driving, right? Like I'm so grateful now that my older son can help with the driving if we're, you know, on a road trip. And he also can go to the grocery store. He can drive his brother to work. You know, there's just a lot of things that, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that he can do that. And it was something that we started more in, in the team. So there are things that they are interested in too. It's just, of course, not the same things that the, the three and four year olds are interested in. So I hope that something in this episode served you. We talked about releasing control, observing without knowing what we're looking for, finding their interest and really playing into it and helping to magnify it and give more, uh, give more attention to that interest and giving them more of an opportunity to take it forward. And then we also talked about the uh, areas of practical life and sensorial that, uh, that Montessori in her amazing wisdom discovered that there are three, four, five, six year olds are really, really wired for. So I hope that that served you and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Until next time, bye for now. Hey, it's T, and I'm so excited to share that Relational Parents is offering a free book club in the month of September. We are reading and meeting every week for some really animated conversations about The Self-Driven Child by William Stixrude and Ned Johnson. It's about the most damaging myths that we as parents buy into and how to break out of them in some of the most challenging areas that we navigate with our kids, like school and like technology and their future. 
So I think it's really perfect timing for this book club as the school year gets underway. And if you'd like to join us, please register. There are two ways to register, either in the Relational Parents Facebook group, which you can join, or if you're already in there, or send an email to support at relationalparents.org. Let us know that you're interested and we will send you the link and we'll get you in there for these conversations. And also you can feel free to invite a friend or two that would be interested. Okay, I'll see you there. Thank you.